I'd like to introduce a new member to the group, Ken Kaneko. Hi, everyone. Hi, Ken. It's so great to finally be in a group where I feel safe enough to say out loud that my spring mix salad greens are absolutely delicious. You should also try my microgreen sweet mix. Local farmer Ken Kaneko believes his forward greens are so delicious he just wants you to try them. Get a VIP coupon at forwardgreens.com and get your forward greens at Safeway and Albertsons. Thanks for sharing, Ken. I'd also like to share some of my kale and micro broccoli. The Blue Carbuncle by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. Dramatized by Grant Eustace, with Roy Marsden as Sherlock Holmes and John Moffat as Dr. Watson. On the second morning after Christmas, I called upon my friend Sherlock Holmes with the intention of wishing him the compliments of the season. He was lounging upon the sofa in a purple dressing gown, but as he was examining a very seedy and disreputable hat, I felt that I might be interrupting him. Not at all, Watson. Come sit down. Oh, thank you. I'm glad to have a friend with whom I can discuss my results. Well, I suppose that, uh, homely as it looks, this hat is the clue that will guide you in the solution of some mystery and the punishment of some crime. No, no crime. Hmm? Only one of those whimsical little incidents which will happen when you have four million human beings all jostling each other within the space of a few square miles. You know Peterson? Um... The, the commissioner? Yes. It is to him that this trophy belongs. But it is not his hat? No, 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 we found it. Its owner is unknown. Well, then how does it come to be here? It arrived upon Christmas morning in the company of a good fat goose, hmm? which is, I have no doubt, roasting at this moment in front of Peterson's fire. But how did Peterson come by the hat? He was returning from some small jollification about four o'clock on Christmas morning, when he saw in the gaslight ahead of him a tallish man carrying a goose over his shoulder. As he reached the corner of the street, a row broke out between the stranger and a little knot of roughs. One of them knocked off the man's hat, on which he raised his stick to defend himself and smashed the shop window behind him. Oh, surely Peterson tried to intervene on the stranger's behalf. Yeah. You leave that man alone! Yes, he did. But the man, shocked at having broken the window and seeing a person in uniform rushing towards him, dropped his goose and ran off. And the group of roughs? They also fled at Peterson's approach, so that he was left in possession of the field of battle and also of the spoils of victory. This battered hat and the goose? Precisely. But did he not try to restore them to their owner? There lies the problem. It is true that a small card attached to the bird's left leg said, For Mrs. Henry Baker. And the initials HB are here upon the lining of the hat. But there must be some hundreds of Henry Bakers in London, and not too easy to restore lost property to any one of them. Yes. Well, what then did Peterson do? Knowing that even the smallest problems are of interest to me, he brought round both hat and goose to Baker Street. Oh, but you spoke of the goose being cooked. We retained it until this morning, when there were signs that despite the frost, it would be well if it were eaten without delay. Ah. Well, has the man not advertised for his lost Christmas dinner? No. Then you have no clue as to his identity? Only as much as we can deduce. Uh, did you? What, from his hat? Precisely. <laughs> but you're joking. I mean, what can you gather from this... Old, battered felt. Well, you know my methods. Here's my lens. See what you can gather yourself as to the individuality of the man who's worn it. <laughs> I took the tattered object in my hands and turned it over rather ruefully. It seemed to me just a very ordinary black hat, if much the worse for wear. 
I handed it back to my friend. Well, I can see nothing. On the contrary, Watson, you can see everything. You fail, however, to reason from what you see. Well, then pray tell me what it is you infer from this hat. That the man is highly intellectual is, of course, obvious. And also that he was fairly well-to-do within the last three years, although he has now fallen on evil days. Oh, my dear Holmes. He has, however, retained some degree of self-respect. He leads a sedentary life, goes out little, is out of training entirely, is middle-aged, and has grizzled hair which he has had cut within the last few days. His wife has ceased to love him, so we surmise that he was bringing the goose home as a peace offering. Oh, and it is extremely improbable that he has the gas laid on in his house. Oh, now, you are certainly joking, Holmes. Not in the least. But... Now, look, I I have no doubt that I am very stupid, but I must confess I am unable to follow you. For example, now, how do you deduce that the man is intellectual? Mm. Well, it's a question of cubic capacity. Holmes clapped the hat upon his head. It came right over the forehead and settled upon the bridge of his nose. (laughs) You see, a a man with so large a brain must have something in it. In the same matter-of-fact way, Holmes demonstrated point by point how the hat provided the evidence for each of his deductions, even to the gas not being laid on in the house. One tallow stain, or even two, might come by chance. But when I see no less than five, there can be little doubt that the individual must be brought into frequent contact with burning tallow. Such as a a guttering candle, you mean? Perhaps. Anyhow, he never got tallow stains from a gas jet. Are you satisfied? Well... It is very ingenious. <laughs> uh, but since, as you said, there has been no crime committed and no harm done... Save the loss of the goose. Not, yes. I mean, all this seems to be rather a waste of energy. Uh, Mr. Holmes, oh, uh, thank goodness you're here. Peterson, uh, whatever is it? The goose, sir. The goose. What of it? Has it returned to life and flapped off through the kitchen window? See here, sir. See what my wife found in its crop. Peterson held out his hand and displayed upon the centre of the palm a brilliantly scintillating blue stone. By Jove, Peterson, this is treasure trove indeed. I suppose you know what you've got? A diamond, sir. A precious stone. It cuts glass as though it were putty. It's more than a precious stone. It's the precious stone. You mean the Countess of Morcar's blue carbuncle? Precisely so. I ought to know its size and shape, seeing that I've read the advertisement about it in the Times every day. Oh, yes. It is absolutely unique. Huh? And the reward offered of a thousand pounds is certainly not within a twentieth part of the market price. A thousand pounds? Great Lord of mercy. Now, if I remember right, it was lost at the Hotel Cosmopolitan. Yes, yes, I have some account of the matter here. Holmes rummaged amid his newspapers, glancing over the dates, until at last he smoothed one out and doubled it over when he found the paragraph he wanted. Here we are. Yeah. Well, see what you make of it, Watson. I read from the newspaper that a plumber, John Horner, had been brought up upon the charge of abstracting the gem known as the Blue Carbuncle from the Countess of Morcar's jewel case. The key evidence was that of a hotel attendant, James Ryder, who had shown Horner up to the Countess's dressing room to solder a loose bar of the grate. Ryder had been called away, but when he had returned, he found that Horner had disappeared, that the bureau had been forced open, and that the small Morocco casket, in which, as it afterwards transpired, the Countess was accustomed to keep her jewel, was lying empty upon the dressing table. 
This state of affairs was confirmed by a second witness, Catherine Cusack, maid to the countess, who rushed into the room when Ryder first gave the alarm. Horner was arrested the same evening. The train of events seems clear, does it not? And with evidence of Horner's previous conviction for theft, it's hardly surprising that the magistrate has referred the matter to the Assizes. Perhaps not. But Horner protested his innocence throughout in the strongest terms. And, of course, they found no trace of the stone in his possession. And now we know why, Mr. Holmes. Only in part, Peterson. We know nothing yet of the sequence of events leading from a rifled jewel case at one end to the crop of a goose at the other. So you see, Watson, our little deductions have suddenly assumed a much more important aspect. Here is the stone. The stone came from the goose, and the goose came from Mr. Henry Baker, the gentleman with the bad hat. And all the other characteristics with which I bored you. So, we must set ourselves very seriously to finding this gentleman and ascertaining what part he has played in this little mystery. So, you will advertise in the papers? It's the simplest means at our disposal. If it fails, I shall have recourse to other methods. Uh, Peterson, I shall trouble you to take a note down to the advertising agency after I've written it. What will you say, Mr. Holmes? Oh, let me see. Found at the corner of... Uh, where was it exactly? Gooch Street, sir. Gooch Street, yes. A goose and a black felt hat. Mr. Henry Baker can have the same by applying at 6.30 this evening at 221B Baker Street. Ah, oh, but will he see it? Oh, you surely keep an eye on the papers, since to a poor man his loss is a heavy one. And the introduction of his name will help, before everyone who knows him will direct his attention to it. Which evening papers do you want this placed in, sir? All of them. Oh, very well, sir. And the stone? For the time being, I shall keep the stone. Uh, right. Oh, uh, and Peterson? Uh, yes, sir? Uh, buy a goose on your way back, would you? We must have one to give to this gentleman in place of the one which your family is now devouring. Right, sir. <sighs> it's a remarkable stone, the way it glints and sparkles. But it is a nucleus and focus of crime. It was found only 20 years ago. In that time, there have been two murders, a vitriol throwing, a suicide, and several other robberies. Good Lord. All because of this? Yes. Who would think that this pretty, 40-grain weight of crystallized charcoal would be a purveyor to the gallows in the prison? Extraordinary. What will you do with it? Keep Lock it in my strong box. <laughs> and I'll drop a line to the Countess to say we have it. Do you think this man Horner is innocent? I cannot tell. Well, then, do you imagine that this other one, Henry Baker, had anything to do with the matter? It is, I think, likely that Mr. Henry Baker had no idea that the bird he was carrying was of considerably more value than if it were made of solid gold. That, however, I shall determine by a very simple test. If you receive an answer to the advertisement. Quite so. And you can do nothing until then? Nothing. Ah, well, in that case, I shall come back this evening and hope to see the solution of this tangled business. I shall be glad to see you. I dine at seven. There is Woodcock, I believe. Oh. <laughs> In view of recent occurrences, perhaps I ought to ask Mrs. Hudson to examine its crop. I was delayed at a case, and it was a little after half-past six when I found myself in Baker Street once more. As I approached, I saw a man waiting outside 221B. The door opened as I arrived, and we were shown up together. Mr. Henry Baker, I believe. Uh, yes, sir. Pray take this chair by the fire. It's a cold night. Oh, thank you. And Watson, you've come just at the right time. Oh, God. Uh, now, Mr. Baker, is this your hat? Oh, yes, sir. That is undoubtedly my hat. We have retained these things for some days because we expected to see an advertisement from you. 
I'm at a loss to know why you didn't advertise. Shillings have not been so plentiful with me as they once were. A gang of roughs assaulted me, and I have no doubt that they carried off both my hat and my bird. So you did not care to spend more money in a hopeless attempt at recovering them? Uh, No, sir. Very naturally. By the way, about the bird, we were compelled to eat it. To eat it? Yes. It would have been no use to anyone had we not done so. But I presume that this other goose upon the sideboard will answer your purpose equally well. Oh, certainly, certainly. Of course, we still have the feathers, legs, crop, and so on of your own bird, if you so well. <laughs> they might be useful to me as relics of my adventure, but not beyond that. Oh, no, sir, I'll, I will confine my attentions to the excellent bird upon the sideboard. Sherlock Holmes glanced sharply across at me with a slight shrug of his shoulders. There is your hat, then, and there your bird. By the way, would you just tell me where you got the other one from? Certainly, sir. A few of us frequent the Alpha Inn near the museum. We pass our time in the museum itself during the day, you understand? Of course. Oh, yeah. This year, our good host instituted a goose club, by which, on consideration of some few pence every week, we were to receive a bird at Christmas. My pence were duly paid, and, well, the rest is familiar to you. Indeed. Uh, I am much indebted to you, sir. Mm -hmm. So much for Mr. Henry Baker. Well, it's quite certain that he knows nothing whatever about the matter. Are you hungry, Watson? What? Hungry? Um... No, not particularly. Good. Then I suggest we turn our dinner into a supper and follow up this clue while it is still hot. Yes, by all means. Ulsters and cravats wrapped about her throats, then, I fancy. Yes. It was certainly a bitter night. The breath of the passers-by blew out into smoke like so many pistol shots, and our footfalls rang out crisply and loudly. In a quarter of an hour, we were in the Alpha Inn in Bloomsbury. We ordered two glasses of beer from the ruddy-faced landlord, and then Holmes drew him into conversation. Before long, we had learned that Henry Baker's goose was one of two dozen the landlord had obtained from a stall in Covent Garden, run by a man named Breckinridge. So we buttoned up our coats again and went back out into the frosty air. Now for Mr. Breckenridge. If he can help. Well, if he cannot, we will look elsewhere. Mm. Remember, Watson, that though we have so homely a thing as a goose at one end of this chain, we have at the other a man who will certainly get seven years' penal servitude, unless we can establish his innocence. Yes, but it is possible that our inquiry may confirm his guilt. Yes. (sighs) But in any case, we have the line of investigation which has been missed by the police and which a singular chance has placed in our hands. We passed through a zigzag of slums to Covent Garden Market, where one of the largest stalls bore the name of Breckenridge. Good evening. Good evening. Sold out of geese, I see. Let you have 500 tomorrow morning. That's no good. Well, there is still some on that stall with a gas flare. Ah, but uh, I was recommended to you, Mr. Breckenridge. Oh, boy. The landlord of the Alpha. Fine birds you sent him, too. Where do you get them? Now then, mister, what are you driving at? Let's have it straight now. I should simply like to know who supplied you with the geese you sold to the Alpha. Well then, I shan't tell you. It's a matter of no importance, but I don't know why you should be so warm over such a trifle. Warm? You'd be as warm, maybe, if you were as pestered as I am. 
You'd think they were the only geese in the world for all the questions I get asked about them. We have no connection with any other people who've been making inquiries. If you won't tell us, the bet is off, that's all. What bet? I had a fiver on it that the bird I ate is country bread. Well then, you've lost your fiver. For it's town bread. It's nothing of the kind. I say it is. You'll never persuade me to believe that. Will you bet then? It's merely taking your money, for I know that I'm right. But I'll have a sovereign on it with you, just to teach you not to be obstinate. Well then, Mr. Cocksure, I thought I was out of geese. But before I finish, you'll find there is still one left in my shop. Bring me the box, Bill. The small boy at the back of the stall brought a small, thin volume and a great greasy-backed one. Taking Holmes through them rather as if he were a child, Breckinridge arrived at an entry showing that the geese at the Alpha had come from a Mrs. Oakshot of 117 Brixton Road. Holmes looked deeply chagrined, threw a sovereign down on the slab and turned away. A few yards off, he stopped and turned to me, laughing. When you see a man with whiskers of that cut and a racing paper in his pocket, you can always draw him on, I bet. Should we go on to this Mrs. Oakshot tonight, or wait until tomorrow? Well, it is clear there are others beside ourselves interested. I've had enough of you and your case. Someone else has I really store. have. Quickly, now, let's move back to where business. we can hear more clearly. Now, do you understand? If you can't pester me anymore with your silly talk, I'll set the dog on you. I only ask. Now, you bring Mrs. Oakshot here, and I'll answer her. Did I buy the case from you? No, but one of them was mine all the same. Ask Mrs. Oakshot for it. She told me to ask you. Well, you can ask the King of Prussia for all I care. Now, get out of here, yeah. All right, I'm going to keep him off, will ya? Uh, this may save us our visit to the Brixton Road. Let us see what is to be made of this fellow. Striding through the scattered knots of people who lounged round the stalls, my companion speedily overtook the little man and touched him on the shoulder. Who are you then? What do you want? I couldn't help overhearing the questions you put to the salesman just now. I think that I could be of assistance to you. How could you know anything of the matter? Who are you? My name is Sherlock Holmes. It is my business to know what other people do not. I know, for example, that you are anxious to trace some geese sold by Mrs. Oakshot to Breckenridge, oh. by him to the landlord of the Alpha, oh, and by him to, among others, Mr. Henry Baker. Oh, sir, you sound indeed the very man to help me. In that case, come in! Come we had better discuss it in a cosy room, rather than this windswept marketplace. Uh, but before we go further, pray tell me whom I have the pleasure of assisting. My name is John Robinson. No, 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 the real name. It is always awkward doing business with an alias. Well, and my real name is James Ryder. Ah, oh, precisely so. The attendant at the Hotel Cosmopolitan. Mm-hmm. Pray, step into the cab. Nothing was said during our drive, but the nervous movements of our companion spoke of the tension within him, and it seemed a long half hour before we were back in front of our sitting room fire. Now, Mr. Ryder, you want to know what became of the geese? Yes, sir. Or rather, I fancy, of one goose, white with a black bar across the tail. Sir, can you tell me where it went to? It came here. Here? And a most remarkable bird it proved. It laid an egg after it was dead. A bright little blue egg. Holmes unlocked his strongbox and held up the blue carbuncle. Ryder stood, pale and drawn, staring at it uncertain whether to claim it or disown it. The game's up, Ryder. Oh, now, hold on, man, or you'll be in the fire. Let's get him into the chair, Watson. Yes. 
It took a glass of brandy to bring any sort of colour back to Ryder's face. How did you come to hear of the stone? Oh, it was Catherine Cusack who told me of it. Uh, the Countess was made. Yeah. It seems to me, Ryder, you have the makings of a very pretty villain in you. Oh. You knew that the plumber had been concerned in some such matter before, and that suspicion would rest more readily on him. So you and your confederate Cusack made some small job in the lady's room so that he should be sent for. Oh. Then oh. once the plumber had left... You rifled the jewel case, raised the alarm, and let the unfortunate man be arrested in your place. Oh, for God's sake, have mercy. Think of my parents. It will break their hearts. I, I, I never went wrong before, and I never will again. I swear it. It is all very well to cringe and crawl now, but you let Horner be placed in the dock for a crime of which he knew nothing. I, I'll leave the country, sir. Then a charge against him will break down. Hmm. Now... Tell me how the stone came into the goose, and the goose into the open market. When Orner had been arrested, it, it seemed to me that it would be best for me to get away with the stone at once. So I, I made for my sister's house. Ah, Mrs Oakshot is your sister? Y yeah. But how did you think you would dispose of the stone? Well, I, I had a friend who well, he went to the bad and served his time in Pentonville. And one day I chanced to meet him. And as we talked, he happened to tell me... Uh, Thieves got rid of what they stole. Oh, Ryder was oh. still so pale that we gave him a little more brandy before he continued. Then he explained how the thought of travelling right across London with the stone in his pocket petrified him. At any moment I might be seized and searched. But the geese waddling around his feet gave him an idea for concealing the stone. Inside the goose that his sister had promised him for Christmas. So he caught one of the birds and forced the stone down its throat before it ran back amongst the others. What were you doing with that bird, James? Uh, oh, uh, well, Maggie, you said you'd give me one for Christmas, and I was feeling which one was fattest. Oh, we set yours aside for you. Well, if it's all the same to you, I'd rather have the one I was handling just now, and uh, I'll, I'll take it now. Really? Well, no reason why not, I suppose. Which is it you want, then? That white one, with a barred tail. Very well. Kill it and take it with you. But the one I have for you was a good three pounds heavier. So you took this bird to your friend and found no stone when you cut it open. My heart turned to water, for I knew some terrible mistake had occurred. I rushed back to my sister's. Maggie! To find Maggie. not a bird yeah. to be seen. Where are all the geese, Maggie? Gone to the dealers. Oh, which one? <laughs> Breckenridge in Covent Garden. But was there another bird with a barred tail, the same as the one I chose? Yeah. There were two bar tail ones. Oh. I never could tell them apart. Oh, no, Maggie, what am I going to do? So, off I ran to Breckenridge. But not one word would he tell me where the geese had gone, however much I asked. You heard him yourselves tonight. My sister thinks I'm going mad. I, I sometimes think I am myself. And now I'm a branded thief without having ever touched the wealth for which I sold my character. God help me. Ryder buried his face in his hands. There was a long silence, broken only by the measured tapping of Sherlock Holmes's fingertips upon the edge of the table. Then my friend rose and threw open the door. Get out. What? Out! Oh, sir, heaven bless you. No more words, no more words. Just out! Out! <laughs> 
After all, Watson, I am not retained by the police to supply their deficiencies. Well, this fellow will not appear against Horner now, so the case must collapse. My reasoning entirely. I suppose I'm commuting a felony, but it is just possible that I'm saving a soul. Send Ryder to jail now, and you make him a jailbird for life. And it is the season of forgiveness. Indeed. Well, time for supper, then. Yes. If you will have the goodness to touch the bell, Doctor, oh, yes. we will begin another investigation, in which a bird will also be the chief feature. In The Blue Carbuncle, by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, Roy Marsden played Sherlock Holmes, John Moffat, Dr. Watson, Martin Reed, Henry Baker, Douglas Blackwell, Peterson and Breckenridge, Alex Jennings, James Ryder, and Natasha Pine, Maggie Oakshaw. The music was written by Joss Sanglier and played by Joss Sanglier and Elizabeth Fellows. The Blue Carbuncle was dramatised by Grant Eustace and directed by Michael Bartlett for Daedalus Productions.